Welcome to the Juliana Forlano Show. I'm Juliana Forlano, happy to be back in my home Brooklyn studio. We're going to be talking today about the crisis in Greece and what it means to you and me. Joining us will be Greg Palast, investigative journalist from the BBC and from Athens, Michael Nefrodakis. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Juliana Forlano Show. Today, everyone, we are going to be talking about Greece. And I will be doing the entire show in this vaguely Mediterranean accent. Yes, no? There is a crisis in the Greek Isles, people. It is affecting the entire world. And we are going to talk about it today. Do you like my Greek accent? I can do a lot of things with it. But what I cannot do is play Greek music for the entire time we are talking because we will be talking of serious business. So that's enough of that. No, I can't do the whole show in a Greek accent. There's a lot going on over there, and it's important to us over here. Greece reached a deal to stay in the Eurozone by borrowing an additional 85 billion euros from the Troika when they have to pay it back. They're going to hopefully tell those lenders to kiss their Athens. I'm not sure. What is happening over there? Why is it happening? And perhaps most importantly, will my twice-a-day Greek yogurt habit be affected? These are all important questions. Let's get to it. Greece is in a debt crisis which grew out of a shady deal with Goldman Sachs. Did you know this? This was engineered by Goldman's own Lloyd Blankenstein. Uh, I'm sorry, Blank Fine. Blank Fine and his team over at Goldman helped Greece hide the true extent of its debt. This is under a different government than they're under now. But in the process of hiding the true extent of its debt, they basically doubled it. Thank you very much. We can always count on Goldman Sachs to be doing good things for the people. Well, Sure, you can say that Greece is also suffering from years of corruption and tax avoidance by its wealthy, but what country isn't? Come on. In response to the crisis, quote-unquote crisis, which some are calling just basically resistance to austerity, not necessarily a crisis. It's only a crisis when the people rise up, and it's a crisis for someone. Anyway, in response to what they are calling the crisis, the EU has been insisting on austerity for the small country for the past several years, which has been calamitous. People are out of work. There is a mass exodus out of the country, on and on and on. In January, the Greek people voted in an anti-austerity party, which I just would like to say, could can we stop calling people anti-austerity parties? Can we start calling them something positive so they're not always just fighting austerity? Let's call them perhaps a pro-shared prosperity party. Perhaps we should do that in all countries that are fighting uh, the 1% takeover of all of their private lands. Anyway, in January, Greece voted in an anti-austerity party, pro-shared prosperity party, on the left, which is called Syriza. Greece can't pay this huge usurious debt that's being leveled upon it. The Troika, which is a three-part commission 
that it's charged with monitoring the euro's debt crisis. These the troika's made up. Uh, they make recommendations on policy to help resolve the crisis. The troika is basically made up by the European Central Bank, the European Central Commission, and the IMF, the International Monetary Fund. These guys basically have the Greeks by their Kalamata olives and are calling for more austerity, slashing pension funds, selling off public land, utilities, and other public goods while closing down hospitals, schools, and other places where people both work and uh, (laughs) that people both need. Okay, So last week, just to bring us up to speed because this thing is currently unfolding and it's not over and it is actually quite important. Last week, 60 plus percent of Greeks voted no to more austerity, to which German Chancellor and mouthpiece for the Troika, Angela Merkel, said no. And also, why don't you go f*** yourself? You Mediterranean swore the uzo-swilling spanakop at the munchers. What? No. She, what? Well, okay, she actually didn't say that last part, but basically she said no and then offered more strict, tighter austerity measures, to which the head of the anti-austerity left party in Greece said, yeah, okay, all right, yeah, we're going to do that, and uh, we'll do that. And he brought that back to Greece, the Greek parliament, for a vote which then passed yesterday. Now, Greece could, like Argentina and some other South American countries that were in a similar position, have said no. They could have said so long. They could have left the euro but that vote on leaving the euro was never offered to the Greeks. Now, Greek debt, the crisis over there, why is that important to me? Well, because the the debt crisis over there is becoming a European crisis and possibly even a world economic crisis. Not good. And also, there's a public health crisis over there. The HIV rate is exploding. Remember, they've shut the hospitals. Malaria is returning. All the, you know, 40% of children over there are living in poverty. The infant mortality rate is skyrocketing. People, you know, youth unemployment is close to 50%. And remember, when one country has a public health issue, it can travel. We are globalized now. So that is why this is very important to us. And also, much like Detroit, it's a tipping point for places that we believe are civilized and balanced and healthy uh, that are being affected by the 1%, the vultures in the 1%. Uh, I had a chance to speak with Greg Pallas, the New York Times best-selling author and a freelance journalist for the BBC and for The Guardian. You know Greg. His books are great. They include The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, Billionaires and Ballot Bandits, Armed Madhouse, and the highly acclaimed, which I hope everyone in Greece goes out and reads, Vulture's Picnic. I asked Greg how it was possible that no one saw this coming, and he had an interesting and rather chilling answer for me. Let's listen in. The disaster in Greece is baked into the euro. That was the intent from the beginning. This is not some type of unexpected crisis and, oh my God, how could the euro have collapsed? This was put right in there. And I know this because I spoke with the uh, so-called father of the euro, Professor Robert Mundell, who Mm. designed it for uh, various politicians. He was also the guy who designed supply-side economics or what we call voodoo economics for Ronald Reagan. The purpose of the euro was to bring Reaganomics to Europe. How do you do that? If everyone is locked to a single coin, 
then the, then you lose then each government democratically elected government loses control of your fiscal policy you lose control of your monetary policy can't print your own money you lose control of your exchange rate because you're locked in with one to one with the germans etc when you have none of these things according to mundell and his theory was absolutely correct when you have no control of these items when a crisis hits when a crisis hits then you have nothing you can do except cut business taxes cut regulations cut government privatize your industries as a way to to keep jobs in your nation if you don't do those things you're you lose all your jobs uh, so what's happened is, is that the euro basically forces any nation in trouble to um, to basically give up uh, control of their destiny. Did you, did these nations see this coming on? How, how, why would they agree? What was the big promise that the euro would do? The problem that Greece and any other nation had, the reason why these the euro was accepted was the problem that we have in the United States. It's called the 1%. Mm. You have ultra-rich guys in all these European nations. For example, in Greece, you have the shipping tycoons mm. who've made billions, never paid a dime in taxes. Well, when the economy collapses and they have a fire sale, these guys get to buy up the assets of their own nations very cheap. They've got the inside. So the mass of the 50 billion, the 50 billion euro plan for privatization, most of is going to go to other to Greeks. It'll go to rich Greeks who are going to buy up the nation's beaches, water systems, electric systems, islands, museums, you name it, the airlines, the buses, it will all go to the ultra rich. Uh, split between uh, local rich Greeks, uh, Germans, and the Chinese who picked up the ports. So the rich people in 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 Greece and the and the Chinese who picked up the ports will buy the stuff from the Greek government. Then the Greek government will pay off the IMF loan. Am I getting this right? Or right. try to so pay it? Is that money to pay off the some of the IMF loan? Mm-hmm. And of course, the Greeks will have to pay plenty when you when you give up your water system. You still have to drink water. But as we saw when Enron took over the water system, Buenos Aires, the water bills went up 400 percent. In England, when they privatized water, it went up 500 percent. There's a reason why public water is what we have in America. America is remaining one of the last great socialized nations on this planet. Uh, We still have (laughs) public parks. We have public schools. We have public libraries. We have public water systems. And so uh, but Greece is giving that all up. So even a capitalist nation like America knows you have to have some public services it all goes. If they had said, okay, we're leaving the Eurozone, we're going to go back to the drachma, then basically what they, were, what they would be doing was giving those same privatized assets or assets that are to be privatized to the people. Am I making a mistake right. They there? Wouldn't, right. They wouldn't have to privatize all this property. Now, already they're deep in debt, and so there's going to be an attempt for all these vultures and vulture financiers to collect their uh, to collect their pound of flesh from Greece, even if they leave the euro. But basically, uh, they if they go back to the drachma, which was a coin that was uh, good enough for Plato, huh. uh, they will be able to, um, first of all, they'll, they'll recover quite quickly. I saw this in Argentina. I saw this um, in, in other nations that, uh, that were locked, uh, had locked currencies in Argentina. They were locked to the U.S. dollar. And just like Greece, they say, oh, my God, if, if we leave the euro, the sky will fall. Well, I'm sorry. When I first proposed that they leave the euro back in 2010, uh, the unemployment rate was a horrible 9%. The European Commission said, stick with us and you'll be recovered by 2012. 
They didn't recover. They went from 9% unemployment to 26% unemployment today. The sky has fallen. Those in Greece who say that the sky will fall have not looked around them. The sky is under their feet. Uh, It's one in four people who remain in Greece. Adults who remain in Greece can't find work. But about already about a fifth of the population has simply fled uh, uh, fled Greece to try to get to work elsewhere. You graduate, the chance is less than half that you'll get a job if you graduate from uh, college with an advanced degree. So these people are fleeing and taking jobs elsewhere. They're losing their, you know, they're using their losing entire generation. So, so Riza yeah. ran on this economic program that didn't really mention anything about a departure from the eurozone or stoppage of payments or even writing down Greece's debt. So how can they I mean, could you put in context exactly what's happening there? Are they trying to um, cover a number of leftist groups, including the rich ones and the poor ones? Or why it, it, certain writers have said that they're betraying everyone? Well, here's the problem. Tsipras, who is the uh, Alexis Tsipras, who is the prime minister and was elected from the so-called left party Syriza. As I've said in my article, um, he was never much of a leftist in the in the very simple sense is that once you agree that you're going to stay in the euro, you agree to basically Deutschmark slavery because the euro isn't the coin. It's a Deutschmark with a lot of little stars on it. It's controlled by Germany. And uh, unless you're willing to say no to the euro, you're basically saying we don't want to have leprosy, but we really don't want to leave the leper colony. The euro is what created their problems. Now, they, uh, do the problems evaporate the second they walk out of the euro? No, they don't. Uh, do their problems get worse if they stay in the euro? 100% absolutely, because what's going to happen now? What's going to happen now is complete disaster because – they're talking about privatizing all these industries so that they'll lose the, the income from those industries and people will pay more for water and buses and electricity and you name it. That will impoverish people more. They're talking about cutting pensions so there's less demand, uh, less economic activity. They're talking about cutting more government jobs. Uh, they're caught, you know, uh, more uh, unemployment for Greek businesses, higher taxes. All these things are complete economic disasters. It was that great economist, Barack Obama, who said, and oh my God, I, <laughs> you know, this is a guy who has trouble with some economics, but even Obama understands, as he said, you can't, you can't draw blood from a nation in depression. It just makes things worse. Keep in mind, when the United States faced the Great Recession back in 2009, uh, first George Bush, then Obama, borrowed money for a stimulus plan equal to 10% of our gross national product. A huge, huge debt pile was built up. Well, now we're down to 3% of gross national product, but it's the reason that big pile of debt had a very valuable purpose. We we printed up our, we first of all, we have our own money called the dollar. We printed ourselves. We printed ourselves a bunch of dollars, and we uh, ended up with an unemployment rate, which is less than any nation in Europe, including Germany. So when in the United States, we kept control of our own economic destiny because we kept our own currency, the dollar. We didn't – you notice that the United States didn't say, oh, my God, we're in trouble. Let's join the euro. Uh, <laughs> so right. we didn't, thank God. But somehow the, uh, the Greeks and the question of, you know, is Syriza really a left party? If you're going to stay uh, under the euro domination, which is basically a currency which brings you the uh, Reaganomics – 
which is tied directly to Reaganomics. You can't be a left party and adopt Reagan's economic policy and the coin created by Reagan's economists for this purpose. So the changing from the drachma, if they go back to the drachma, that means uh, that basically the rich will be taking a big hit, right? The rich people in the country, whereas if they go this way, it seems like the slow, painful death the brunt of that pain will be felt by the working and middle class. It seems like they're redistributing the pain. Do I have that right, or am I, am I Absolutely. off? Absolutely. Here's what's happening. Uh, and, you know, look, give Cyprus some props for trying to – for basically crawling on his hands and knees and saying, we've cut our pensions eight times, and now they want to cut – Pensions for the ninth time. You see, I'm a, I'm a, so, I'm a psychotherapist. Everybody knows you cannot appease a, a sociopath. And it seems like Angela Merkel's crew is just doing things that are sociopathic. It's a sociopathic system. Mm-hmm. That is, um, when I watched the creation of supply-side economics, I was a student of Milton Friedman. I knew all these guys who created these, these economic monsters. Uh, and the experiment tra- started with Chile. And I bring up Chile for an important reason. It's always called the economic miracle. That was Friedman's uh, phrase. In fact, that's a complete lie. After the the right-wing forces took control of Chile, they went immediately into a 16% unemployment uh, and and massive depression. It wasn't the miracle. It was a miracle that they survived uh, Pinochet and the uh, and uh, Milton Friedman and the free market. Uh, and many mania. people didn't. But nevertheless, the the myth of the Chilean miracle brought us the euro because they basically was a way to take the Chilean experiment and make it uh, euro uh, Europe wide and this would eliminate as Mundell told me this is a quote it eliminates the European welfare state that's the, I'm not surmising that that's what he told me point blank I've had long discussions with him on this and um, you know he's still around he's 82 did you uh, say to him what the hell? <laughs> Why is the European welfare state so bad? People are living, they're eating, they're going to work, they have health care. Not, not from his view. And from his view, he was complaining. He, I wrote a story, which you can look up at com called uh, Professor Mundell's Toilet. And it's, it's all about how he was really incensed that in his big villa in Italy, and he has a big villa in Italy, that uh, he couldn't put in modern plumbing for his toilet because it was an ancient building under all these code restrictions. He's a libertarian. He believes basically that there should be no restrictions. And he says, and not only that, but then I had to get a, you know, like a, an old fashioned toilet and I had to pay these high union plumber wages to have this toilet installed. So in his palace, labor. in his so he, palace, he was mad about the fact <laughs> that he had to pay laborers a union wage to put a toilet right. in his palace. Right. Okay, just making and sure I'm getting this here. You okay. got it right. So in his <laughs> villa, he had to pay union labor. He had to do it a special way that wouldn't wreck this ancient uh, uh, villa that he had owned. Uh, and so what's happened is that is that he, he is one of these, you know, from that uh, Reaganite, Friedmanite, Thatcherite uh, tradition that says uh, no regulation is the best regulation. He's against regulation, uh, and the only way to smash it is to create a, something where there's a straitjacket on governments. And he said the only way to do that would be the euro. The interesting thing is that Professor Mundell won the Nobel Prize not for creating the euro, which is poisonous. Hmm but for actually something called the theory of optimum currency areas. Dude, they're giving that thing out to anybody these days. 
Yeah. And so it's happened. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Yeah, so what's happened is the theory of optimum currency areas basically says you don't take an agricultural nation and a tourist nation like Greece and match it with a kind of dark, unhappy manufacturing land like Germany. So Mundell's own theory is that you should never have Greece and Germany locked into the same currency. So I did ask him, why are you doing this? He says, well, it has nothing to do with a good currency. It has everything to do with eliminating regulations and eliminating the power of, uh, of national governments. Basically, elect it ends democracy. It puts the euro and the Which uh, is interesting Central Bank in place of democracy. It's ending it in a place where democracy began. How, how poetic. Yeah, well, it's it's tragic, actually. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's the point. If you were that, writing this story, that would be a nice circle of, yes, you know, a nice a nice ending. What are the other European countries? Are they shaking in their boots? Are they because I don't see this. Once they eat up Greece, are they not going to move to Spain and Italy and Portugal? These other countries who also have high unemployment. The strange thing is they have. For example, uh, Spain has nearly one in four people unemployed. Um, and the average, the average unemployment in the eurozone is 11 percent. We would call that in America the edge of a depression. And they think that that's that's the that's the great European success. So what is the difference between Greece and Spain? They did the same damn thing to Spain, which is austerity, you know, cutting the government budgets, cutting the pensions, uh, you know, uh, eliminating, you know, a, a chunk of the teachers, uh, selling off schools, parks, water systems, you name it. They did the entire Greece job on Spain. So why is don't, why don't we talk about the Spanish crisis? The answer is because the Spaniards just said, "Okay, our lot in life is to get low wages to to uh, be um, to serve beer barfing British tourists, and that's our lot in life." So the difference between Greece and Spain is that the the Spaniards just laid down and took it, and the Greeks are resisting. So when we talk about crisis, what we mean is resistance. That's the only difference between Spain and Greece is resistance. The and they did that job on Ireland. They tore Ireland to pieces. Uh, they had starvation in Ireland, which we hadn't seen since the potato famine caused by the euro. Uh, we saw this Latvia, uh, 25% unemployment. Um, you know, And they said, oh, they solved their problem. They don't have 25% unemployment because they don't have Latvians anymore. Half the population left for work <laughs> somewhere else. So, yeah, so, yeah they have lower – they don't no longer have 25% unemployment because people no simply left the country. And so you have this massive problem in that – Two-thirds of the Eurozone is bleeding. But again, you'd say, well, why did these countries adopt it? They got talked into it by their elites, and the elites did very, very well. The Eurozone, Greece's crisis is not affecting everyone. It's just affecting the average working person, the students, the elderly. That's the people that are getting crushed. See, the problem with Syriza, they're not radical. They're reformists. They were hoping that, that the common sense, that decency... God, they uh, would, sound just like Barack Obama. Yeah, would, not would radical. Take, yeah. Just yeah, would you know. take would yeah, but that decency would matter. But in the end, oh, you know, silly let's when, when, Yeah, yeah. So when Obama came in, at least and and oddly, even the Republicans, even Bush would have done the same thing. While the Republicans were setting their hair on fire and saying, "Oh, if we go into deficit, remember we effectively raised Social Security payments to people by uh, eliminating the the copayment for a few years." On Social Security, you, you kept more of your paycheck. So we did the exact 
opposite of what the Germans are demanding of Greece, the exact opposite, and that saved this economy. And if it weren't for the Republicans screaming about, oh, my God, deficits, how can we print money? Rand Paul running around saying we're going to have hyperinflation. Uh, you know, I, wait, I'm waiting for the hyperinflation tooth fairy to show up, Mr. Rand. I've been waiting. I've been hearing that bullshit from you for 12 years, Rand. Enough already. I'm, I'm tired of your waiting for the hyperinflation uh, tooth fairy to show up. They, it hasn't. It's a con, okay? And that, and the rich people love that line. The Cokes love to hear Rand talk about hyperinflation, and the finance vultures love to hear about how, um, um, you know, higher social security tax, uh, higher social security payments, people, um, uh, stimulus payments will destroy the economy. It didn't. It wouldn't in Greece. It would save the economy. If the Greece would print their own damn money again. They would have charged their own destiny. Now they've built the up. Greeks and they're going to have to fight that... over the over the debts that they've built up. So what they do is they say the drachma is equal to one euro and send and send Angela Merkel a big check for fifty billion drachmas and say here's your payments, take it or leave it. And by the way, you still owe us uh, the money you borrowed from us during World War II against our will at gunpoint. Well, they're, they're, Germany has been very successful in overtaking uh, almost all of Europe now, it seems, with their yeah, economic except, policy except as opposed to... The average to German, and this is interesting because I often talk about how Germany has basically economically conquered Greece and the rest of Europe. And this is definitely, um, you know, this is, this is, we're now entering the Fourth Reich uh, economically. But it's not really the Germans per se. Because the average German isn't doing too well with this. First sure. of all, they got the Latvians pouring over their borders and the Greeks coming in who are now taking their jobs because they're, they're willing to work for peanuts to eat. Um, and so the average German worker's wage is not rising. Uh, the German industrial profits are monstrously high. Mm. German exports are hugely high because Italy and France – being in the euro cannot devalue their currencies, which would allow them to compete with the Germans. But the German worker, I can tell you, I'm getting calls from Germany. I have contacts, and 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 uh, the German worker is getting it in the neck too. And when you cut all those wages all across Europe, the German worker cannot raise their wages. The one thing that they have that others don't have is employment, as they're as they're manufacturing things and exporting them as they crush. As they crush uh, the rest of Europe. I mean, the, Greece has it easy in a way because they are their number one industry is tourism. If they go to the drachma, you can have a wonderful vacation in the sun for next to nothing. And the two million people who now vacation in Turkey because it's a cheap currency there will return and vacation in Greece. Greece will recover extremely rapidly with its own currency. Without it. We see the plan. We see what Cyprus has signed on to. Mm. Um, you so, know, he's not a bad guy, but he, he's basically destroyed any hope of recovery for his nation for the next generation. So this great no vote that happened last week, the people, 60 percent or a little bit more than 60 percent, voted no to austerity. But they didn't have a chance to vote on whether they wanted to leave the eurozone. Is that right? That's right. Why was and that vote not allowed to the people? Do you think it would it was, pass? Yeah, be, uh, it's very clear. Syriza was uh, and Cyprus were absolutely committed to the euro no matter what. Mm. And so they were bargaining with Merkel and, and saying, we will do anything to stay in the euro, but please be kind to us. Well, please. kindness isn't in their dictionary. So the other thing is that is so it was a phony vote from day one. As I said 
you know, like I said, the title of my article is we we voted to no to slavery, but yes to our chains. It was a totally, completely phony vote. And in fact, they just got punished for it. They got it, the terms are worse than the things that they voted no to. It's worse than than the terms that the people voted against. And Cyprus just signed it. Did he sell his people out? I don't know. He told them he was going to stay uh, and in the euro no matter what. I think the only thing to do now is for Syriza to resign uh, the government for Cyprus to get out of government, get out of the way. He he definitely betrayed the people. He gave them a phony vote, and he should have said yes or no. If you don't want the German diktat, then you are going to have to leave the euro. That should have been straight up on the ballot, yes or no. If people want euro slavery then let them vote for it. If they're against it, let them vote for it. But the, but that nonsense vote was complete and absolute baloney. I said so from the front end of it. And uh, it was a complete con that uh, Cyprus pulled off and he doesn't deserve to hold office. Do you think that an exit from the euro, the Grexit, I guess they're, they're doing a lot of mashing up of words. Greek yeah. Grexit is Grexit, the Greek economy, etc. Do you think that they are going, there's, there's still a chance for them in this big drama? I think it's their only chance. I mean, it's horrible because you already have 25% unemployment. You already have industries sold off. They're going to have to do kind of what Argentina did. So even though they just agreed that to do this thing with... Uh, they should Germany, get out. And then should... even the, what Argentina did is that it uh, it was forced to privatize its water system, sell them to, to Enron. It sold its oil company to, uh, to Spain. And so in the end, Argentina, they not only got out of the lock into the dollar, they, they unlocked their currency from the dollar, but they then, re, the uh, left-wing government re- nationalized the oil industry, the water companies, the electric companies, etc., to take back the people's assets and said, you know, sue us. They did. They ended up paying a few shekels to um, uh, to the Spaniards and the uh, and the and I think Enron even got a few bucks out of Argentina. But the uh, but in the end, the people were better off keeping their assets, keeping their currency. And we know that the real miracle of Argentina happened after they told the IMF to go to hell. They told their creditors to go to hell, and Argentina boomed. Mm. Uh, you know, right now they're fighting a bunch of finance vultures. But the interesting thing is that um, the only reason vultures are going after Argentina is that they're so darn Argentines did very well. They're told the sky would fall. They would starve. They're starving now in Greece. The sky has fallen in Greece. You, they, it was 9% unemployment. Now it's 26% unemployment. What else can they you know, what terrible thing is going to befall them that hasn't befallen them already? And we know that 26% unemployment is now the beginning. It's going to get worse. Do you think oh, if the yeah. Greeks exit that uh, Spain will also exit? That will it, will it start a domino effect, do you think? Spaniards sat silent under Franco for three decades, two and a half decades. Right. I, I think that the Spaniards have decided that uh, they are just... Um, a European colony, and they've accepted their fate. So I don't think Spain will leave. I think that Spain will just um, take the beating and be silent, and and that's it. Even if Greece goes, they won't be in, empowered or embla emblazoned in some way. Well, the word empower is interesting because the, there is an anti-euro uh, uprising in Spain called Podemos. The Podemos. We've had one yeah, of their leaders can. on the show. We, we are sure. powerful. Right. Um, and, uh, I mean, maybe that the Spaniards will get to the point where they say the Greeks did it, but they'll have to wait to see what happens to Greece. And that's why I guarantee you that what's going to happen is that 
the Germans will do absolutely anything to try to cut off Greece's uh, economic recovery. They will punish them in every single way conceivable. And this will be a test of whether Obama is going to stand by our NATO ally, is going to stand by a nation who he knows from his own words has been brutalized, brutalized. I mean, we're helping the, the fascist government of Ukraine. Let's call it what it is. OK, why aren't we helping Greece? Why aren't we saying, OK, you don't need the, the uh, you don't need the euro, but we'll put you under the umbrella of the U.S. dollar until you can make this transition. Help them out. And you'll end up with another uh, Argentina, which will be a tremendously powerful tourism-based economy. The IMF isn't uh, a lot of the decisions that that the IMF made are, aren't they based in the U.S. on U.S. policy? Well, so yeah, aren't we kind of screwing US them? Policy, on, yeah. We're screwing them on one side, and we're helping them on the other side. Yeah. Well, the IMF, uh, the fifty-one percent of the IMF is owned by the United States Treasury. It's a bank, and we own fifty-one percent of the stock. U.S. Treasury. So obviously our Treasury has a lot to say over what the IMF is going to do. And that's also made me a little sick because Barack Obama said that what the Europeans are doing to Greece is wrong. It, it's not he wasn't even bringing up whether it was wrong as a humanitarian matter. He was bringing it up that it was stupid. It was big stupid to do this economically. We didn't we recovered in the United States through deficit spending. It's good old fashioned Keynesianism or uh, you know, and I'm sure the, the right wing will note this, too. Marx talked about the, the purchasing power of the working class. If you kill the purchasing power of the working class, you're going to kill your general economy. And yet the IMF continues in these horrible directions. I do know, you know, that I, I uh, spent a lot of time, worked well, uh, worked for a long time with uh, Joe Stiglitz, who was the chief economist of the World Bank, and would tell me the IMF was just going to crush people. But then we had Larry Summers who uh, took over as chief economist of the World Bank and uh, then U.S. Treasury Secretary, and they were more than happy to play games with the globalizers. And and you can see the effects. Larry Summers made millions and millions of dollars beating up the world. Uh, he made millions of dollars then uh, being hired by investment bankers who paid him off handsomely for his role. Joe Stiglitz has never gotten a dime from investment bankers. <laughs> he did get the Nobel Prize, though. But the thing is, that it's was a deserved all, one, yes. Yeah, so it's all about, it's it's ultimately, yes, the U.S., and this is my big disappointment with, with Obama. He knows what's happening in Europe is wrong. He said so publicly several times. We control the IMF. It's about time we used it for a positive, finally call up uh, Lagarde, who is the uh, uh, the head of the IMF, and say, okay, knock it off. We've put up the money for the IMF. You're not going to use our money as a whip to lash Greece. Don't, I'm seeing parallels here between, and I think it all comes back to uh, the vulture capitalism, that the vultures that you were talking about in your book that we mentioned before you came on. Um, it seems like the same things are happening all over the place. Even in Detroit, we're seeing these, uh, the privatization of uh, public, um, you know, public lands, public good, public publicly owned yeah. um, 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 you know what I'm saying yeah it's, it's a smash and grab yeah we see and that's what I but said how, I mean where's the end game in this just the 1% own everything and the rest of us work you know we, it, we're it's all very interesting you use the word end game because I, I've written a, an article that went viral internationally called the end game memo it was a secret confidential memo between Larry Summers and Tim Geithner uh, both of whom served as our secretaries of treasury 
It was a secret plan. This was back in 98. This was a secret plan for the deregulation of the banks. And it identified and it talked about their secret meetings with the top bankers from Bank of America, from Citibank, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan. Uh, these are all having secret meetings with the Treasury. And that's where they, he said, now we are approaching the end game. So when you say, what is their end game? They do have an end game. And I actually have the memo which says this is the end game. The end game is complete deregulation and marauding power by the big international banks. That's what's going on here. The banks are cranking it like crazy. They made big, giant bucks off of Greece. Then they got now the then the governments paid off the banks and the banks now have to pay off the IMF so that the banks are all held harmless. They've made billions and billions. In fact, in one of my articles, if you read my book, Vulture's Picnic, I talk about, uh, which has been cited by the president of Argentina. And it was uh, very much uh, in the front page uh, discussed on the front page of the papers in Greece, because I said, look, this uh, Greece was destroyed originally by secret agreements between Goldman Sachs and uh, and the uh, government of Greece, the old right wing government of Greece, to hide Greek deficits um, through this scam of of, of uh, they had ran all these kind of fake foreign currency transactions, giving the Greek government billions and billions and billions of dollars of fake profits. Uh, it's as if they, the Greek government said, "Oh, don't worry about our deficit. We went to we went to Vegas and we won big at the at the roulette table." It was completely a phony transaction. It was all on paper. It was a lie. It was fraudulent, and that's what brought down Greece when that got ex when that got exposed. That's what destroyed Greece because then then of course investors, legit investors, not the vulture investors, but legit investors said. We can't invest in Greece. Your books are phony. You're running these fake deals with Goldman Sachs. Now I got to tell you how Goldman stayed out of, uh, you know, yeah, their executive stayed out of prison because that does violate U.S. law. And I say that very cautiously and carefully because I, you know, I understand uh, how libel laws work. But remember, I was a U.S. I was a, I was an investigator for of racketeering and fraud charges for the federal government. I worked with the FBI. I worked with the with the Justice Department. We put people in jail for this stuff. Huh. What they did to Greece and um, why they're out of jail, why they're getting uh, bonuses instead of hard time, you tell me. You know, but this is crazy. We have to put an end to this. There is an end game. It's in the memos. Read the stuff. Read my books until Patriot Act 3. You can read my books. <laughs> These are good books. And you have a movie coming out soon. Yes. Uh, well, I'm first very of all, excited about up, this. Yeah. You can pick up a story of, of, of the end game memo. Uh, in the last film I just uh, put out called Vultures and Vote Rustlers, and you can download it from gregpalace.com, Vultures and Vote Rustlers, and uh, that has the story, the Endgame memo. I show you the Endgame memo, but in the meantime, we are uh, doing in, uh, we're creating a film, we're filming a new one about the connection between the billionaires and vote theft in America. I'm not giving much away by telling you that because those are two topics I've been on for a long time. You can't listen. They can't let the Greeks vote on anything. You just found out that democracy and and raping a nation for billions don't go together. So they couldn't really let the Greeks vote on whether to pull out of the euro currency. So democracy does not work with uh, for the 1%. Do the math, 99 versus 1. So I'm doing a film that in America, too, the billionaires are not going to let us have our democracy. They're not only spending money for, for poisonous ads, and we all know that stuff, the uh -huh. the, the – nearly billion dollars the Cokes are going to put in 
to this coming 2016 election. But I've been on the beat for 15 years of how they actually suppress the vote. And it's racial, it's ugly, and Jim Crow has returned, and you've got a good two, three million votes at stake of people of color in the United, uh, color in the United States, and we are going to lose our democracy unless we expose this and take control. And that's so I'm making a film to try to, you know, pull the pants down on the uber rich. What do you think about Bernie Sanders? Just out of curiosity. I love Bernie. But the problem is, if you want to surf into office, you have to surf in on a tsunami of cash. And, and <laughs> you know, I, I know he's collecting food stamps and, uh, and a couple bitcoins. <laughs> Bits of and hair and people's, you know, you can send old, them you know. Their penny jars are being thrown in the bucket, and 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 you know it's kind of a, a children's penny crusade. Um, whether I agree with them or not, the the great tragedy here is that is that whether you agree with Bernie or not, he should have a voice, and it, and unfortunately, it's being completely drowned out by this horrendous tsunami of cash, and it is poisoning our democracy in an awful way. And so I just fear that a guy like Bernie can't get a hearing. Mm. Again, it's not whether you agree with him or not. It doesn't matter. But the money is drowning him out. So here's a question. Is the solution uh, workers of the world unite? Yeah. The workers of the world have to unite. Instead of this crap that we're getting from a lot of the people on the street from uh, in Germany, the German workers who are not benefiting from this, from Americans, from the pundits, from where people are saying, oh, yeah, the Greeks, they, they, you know, they're just a bunch of olive pit spitting, ouzo swilling uh, lazy asses who um, you know who retire at the age of 24. They deserve what they get, and they did that same jazz on the Spaniards that they're just a bunch of people who have four-hour siestas every day and work two hours. And you saw that about the the English talking about the Irish. Oh, yes, yeah, it's victim Irish. blaming. They say that they deserve yeah. it, and it's. I think it's racially motivated. Also, it although is it's very racially motivated, and I have to tell you that it is not insignificant that the three nations who are harshest, most brutal, um, are Lutheran Calvinist states, Germany, Netherlands, and Finland, and that the states under attack are Slavic and, and uh, Roman Catholic yeah. and, um, and, and Orthodox. I come from, There's, my family comes from uh, the very tip of southern Italy, and even the north of Italy used to say that we were a lesser people in the south. Yes, and so you have this cultural business, but here's a fact, and I want to leave you with this fact, is why workers should stop beating up on each other. One if they go after the Greeks, they're coming after you in Spain. They're coming after you in Ireland. And they are definitely coming after you in England. And then they're coming after you in Detroit and California. I saw this happen when they deregulated the electricity markets of Ecuador. I said, California is next. And sure enough, blackouts in California. They try this stuff on the least and the weak. And then they come after you guys. So don't sit there and, and gloat that the Greeks are getting it in the neck. And now here's the fact I want to leave you with. It's very important. The average Greek in the 34 developed nations of the OECD, the average Greek who gets a job works more hours, more hours than any other worker in the developed world. Mm. And the nations that are the least, the laziest, lowest hour nations on the planet are the Netherlands and Germany. So those are the people who aren't working and talking about the lazy Greeks. Mm. This is the problem that we have in that they are using divide and conquer. If these nations would get together and have their own currency, a southern euro, not just a drachma, but a southern euro would make a huge difference where there would be one organization of nations which have similar agricultural 
tourist economies. And not only that, but we have to start talking about the way that you save economies is not by whipping the working class. This austerity, budget cutting, belt tightening, let's balance the budget bullshit has got to end because this is the balance the budget bullshit is written by the billionaires for the billionaires. Democracy is of the people, by the people, for the people. And no one elected Angela Merkel or the Koch brothers, president of Europe or president of the United States. You're listening to The Juliana Forlano Show. I was just speaking with investigative journalist Greg Pallast. You can find his work over at gregpallast.com. You can find my work at julianaforlano.com. Hey, I think that we need a little bit more Greek music to set the tone for the rest of the show. And everybody else who wished they was Greek. Ah, yes, the two kinds of people, Greek and everybody else who wished they was Greek. So how do we fix this Greek crisis? Well, one Greek that I know has a great idea. Put some Windex. Yes, put some Windex on it. Put some Windex. I don't think putting Windex on an enormous European debt crisis is going to work, but... Put some Windex. It's a funny thing that I remembered from that great movie that I always loved, my big, fat Greek wedding. No, but what are the real solutions here? Economists, like our good friend Joey and Robbie, you know, Joey Stiglitz and Robbie Reich, they say that debt restructuring must be a part of any solution for economic reforms in Greece, but instead of doing that, the European powers are making these 11th-hour draconian demands, slashing pensions privatizing, as we heard Greg say, even more core state functions and attacking unions and attacking the rights of collective bargaining, the rights of the people. Sounds familiar. Sounds like the kinds of things we're hearing in the TPP documents. Sounds like what presidential candidate on the Republican side, Scott Walker, would like people to do. Not be a, that's That was his main work, people. To, re- to remove people's rights to collective bargaining. But in this Greek crisis, the U.S. can play a pivotal role helping make things better. Why? Well, in addition to our diplomatic power, we have voting power in the IMF, the international mother... Oh, wait, no, that's not what it is. It's... Uh, sorry. The IMF, the... <laughs> the International Monetary Fund. In addition to diplomatic power, the U.S. has voting power in the IMF, which is one of Greece's creditors, which is part of the Troika. President Obama and Secretary of State, excuse me, Secretary of the Treasury, Jack Lew, can use their pulpits. They can use their voice and their votes to yield a positive and just outcome over there. The Greek parliament, of course, has approved the new plan that Prime Minister Tsipras proposed, but so far... 
the European parties aren't offering up the debt restructuring that's needed for a real solution over there and instead are demanding, you know, more and more cuts as we're talking about. Groups here in the U.S., you may know them from your email inbox, moveon.org. They're working on a big campaign to save Greece and reject global austerity. This is bad. Global austerity, very bad. You can go and check out what they're doing at moveon.org on the internet. They're going to try to have us put in calls to the IMF and the Treasury Department offices, which is kind of interesting because, you know, they always say call your senator, call your representative. But the people at the IMF and the Treasury Department, well, they have phones and they're not used to taking calls from regular folks. So it looks like we're going to be able to get their attention that way. Again, you can go to moveon.org and find out what how they're organizing around this. And what are our elected officials already saying about that? About this? What are they saying about Greek? Well, we're going to talk about uh, one presidential candidate, how Bernie Sanders, Democratic presidential candidate, responded in our new segment called Feel the Burn. When you give tax breaks to billionaires and refuse to raise the minimum wage, that's extremism. Feel the burn. When you deny the right of workers to come together in collective bargaining, that's extremism. Feel the burn. When you tell a woman that she cannot control her own body, that's extremism. Well, and that is presidential hopeful Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders called the bailout deal unacceptable this earlier this week. This is his quote. It's a quote. Instead of trying to force the Greek government and its people into even more economic pain and suffering, international leaders throughout the world, including the United States, should enable Greece to enact pro-growth policies that improve the lives of all its people, not just the wealthy few. That is from Bernie Sanders. Now, let's take a look. At the other Democratic candidate, <clears throat> there's two others, but we're going to just talk about Hillary Clinton as Secretary of State in 2011. Clinton voiced support for the austerity measures. This was as part of a massive bailout package linking the austerity measures to chemotherapy. Her quote is, I am not here in any way to downplay the immediate challenges because they are real, but I am here to say that we believe strongly that this the austerity package will give Greece a very strong economy going forward. And clearly, well, that was her quote. Well, clearly she was wrong because it's still going in the turlet. And that was several years ago. I'd love to take your calls and find out what you guys think about all this. But guess what? We have another guest and we are nearing the end of our show. Um, President Obama, by the way, said he believes that the European Union should not call for more auster austerity from Greece saying that you can't get blood from a stone. We are still left with questions. Grexit, agreement, why so many word mashups? And will the word economy start to mean crap hole? I, I want to know. Also, the Pope said recently that unbridled capitalism, which is basically what's crushing Greece, is the dung of the devil. How come no one has attempted his life yet? That is a question I have. Saying things like this from a position of power is usually a recipe for raising the ear, ire, of folks in power. Joining us next, our next guest, Michael Nefrodakis. He's a Ph.D. student in media studies here at the University of Texas. 
at Austin, and he is a U.S. Fulbright Scholar presently based in Athens, Greece. Michael is also the host of Dialogos Radio, a weekly radio program featuring interviews and coverage of current events in Greece. He is on the ground in Athens and was able to give us a bird's eye view of what's going on there and how the media is misrepresenting it. So let's take a listen. Well, right now in Greece, the situation is quite calm. It's much calmer than uh, what the media have been portraying for the past couple of weeks. Uh, To the innocent bystander, the situation in Greece seems uh, pretty normal if you put aside the fact that there are lines at uh, ATM machines, uh, most ATM machines, Uh, not necessarily very long lines, but uh, as the banks have been shut down for the past uh, two plus weeks, uh, people have no other way to uh, get money from the bank other than uh, going to the ATM. And there are, of course, capital controls. Controls. Uh, people are not able to withdraw more than 60 euros per day per bank account. Uh, this, of course, is only applicable to uh, uh, to Greek citizens and to people that have Greek bank accounts. And I want to make this very clear because uh, it's also uh, right now the middle of Greece's high season in terms of tourism. And any tourists that are coming to Greece do not have this problem. They're able to withdraw as much money as their bank allows as long as they are using a foreign uh, uh, debit card. So one thing that the, the media has not been making clear about the situation in Greece is that, yes, there's difficulties for the people of Greece and those who have Greek bank accounts, but the situation for tourists is not really any different than it was before. As uh, far why, as they, why do you believe that the media is making such an enormous hype about this? Uh, uh, from what we're hearing, people are you know, dying in the streets of malnutrition and starvation. I'm going to be very honest with you, Juliana. Most of the media coverage that has been coming out of Greece ever since the crisis began in 2010 has been awful uh, and extremely biased and very sensationalistic. Uh, most of the media outlets uh, that are covering Greece are covering what has been happening from a very uh, uh, pro-austerity, pro-EU perspective and pro-government perspective as well. And by pro-government, I mean the previous governments that were in power uh, from 2010 until 2012, and then after that year's elections, the government that was in power until this past January. And there's a lot of uh, coverage that is now pretty much excusing away what Syriza has done with this new agreement that it has reached with the European uh, so-called institutions. So the coverage is very biased. Uh, it's portraying and has been portraying Greece as a country that has basically devolved into chaos that was never the case, even when there were the big protests in Sindagma Square in 2011, and I was there for that, uh, the protests were peaceful and they were confined to that area and to some other main squares in other cities in Greece. And the only time there was violence uh, of any kind was when uh, basically provocateurs came in, uh, people that... (laughs) <laughs> Many times they're called anarchists, but it's it's very interesting how they only seem to show up at these peaceful protests that are against what the government is doing. They start throwing rocks or 
Molotov cocktails, and that gives the riot police an excuse to start hurling tear gas at everyone, whether or not they're being violent or not. Mm -hmm. And what happens is the protests are dispersed. And that happened last night in Athens, too. And this is the same riot police, by the way that uh, Syriza had promised before the elections that they would disband, and they didn't do that, and they brought them out onto the streets last night. Well, uh, that is fascinating, and I'm sorry to hear that, although we have, I'm sh- we're not unfamiliar with that process in the United States here. Um, how, do the, how are the people feeling about the Syriza government? Honestly, I think there's a lot of disappointment Uh, There's a lot of people that feel that they have been betrayed because a lot of people placed a lot of hope into into Syriza uh, uh, before the elections in January and again when the referendum was held uh, a couple of weeks ago. These are are mostly the working class people in Greece who are feeling disappointed. The upper, you know, upper classes are not feeling too disappointed, I'm assuming. Yes, that's correct. It's the working classes and the lower middle classes that are the ones that are feeling betrayed because they're the ones that have felt the impact of the crisis the most. The uh, upper middle class and the wealthier classes of Greece, you could see this from the results of the uh, referendum that was held, the no or yes to more austerity. Uh, all of the wealthy districts of Athens, the northern suburbs and some of the southern suburbs where the wealthiest people live, those areas uh, voted majority yes, a yes to more austerity, whereas all of the middle class and working class neighborhoods in Athens uh, voted in large numbers for no. So there's a real class divide in Greece, and that class divide is also the dividing line whether people uh, agree or disagree with uh, the austerity policies that are being enforced. Why do you think that the Syriza government didn't give the opportunity to vote on whether people wanted to leave the euro? And if they did give that opportunity, would they get a 60 percent, you know, 60 percent leave or... That's a very good question. There's a lot of people, uh, including uh, Greg Pallast, who spoke to and other economists, both within and outside of Greece, who have suggested the same thing. I had the opportunity to interview Tariq Ali, and he suggested this as well, a referendum on whether Greece should stay in a euro at all costs uh, or to leave and to return to a domestic currency. And I really think that, unfortunately, Syriza is completely married to the idea of the euro and the eurozone and the European Union. Uh, even before the elections in January, they were very clear that they had no intention of uh, bringing Greece out of the euro. And um, I think that, quite honestly, they are implementing the interests of uh, Europe as a whole and the European Union as a whole and not the interests, the best interests of Greece and the Greek people. Uh, We had, for instance, until recently, the finance minister, Yanis Varoufakis, who a lot of people have treated as uh, some sort of a hero, as someone who has uh, stood up to the pressures uh, being placed on Greece by Germany and European institutions. But this is a guy who has categorically uh, refused to even consider uh, the 
the possibility of a so-called Grexit, uh, even when he was the lead negotiator for Greece uh, a few months back. He never put this issue on the table, even as a negotiating tactic. Uh, he's someone who said in March in an interview with the Associated Press that he will squeeze blood from a stone in order to repay the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, and he ended up doing this. The government ended up doing this in May when they passed a presidential decree uh, which allowed the government to essentially confiscate all of the remaining cash reserves in the Greek treasury and in Greek public institutions, whether it's the, uh, the National Health Service or the insurance funds or the pension funds. And all of that money was rounded up and used to pay the IMF in May. And then a month later, they made this big PR show out of how they were standing up to the IMF and not paying the IMF. Well, uh, just a month earlier, they, they cleared out the Greek Treasury to pay the IMF. So it's this blatant hypocrisy all around and all of this just to avoid a Grexit and just to avoid going back to a national currency. And one of the excuses we hear, by the way, is that, oh, the Greek people are not ready for Grexit or the Greek people gave a uh, mandate to Syriza not to leave the euro. And this is based on opinion polls that are conducted in Greece that show that anywhere from 70 to 80 percent of Greeks that are being polled supposedly want to remain in the euro and in fact want to remain at all costs. The problem with these polls, however, is that none of the uh, public opinion polling firms in Greece uh, conduct polls independently or objectively. First of all, they all receive heavy amounts of state funding. And uh, the second, second and most importantly, all of these polls are conducted on behalf of media outlets that are very corrupt, that are all owned uh, by uh, oligarchs who are all uh, very well connected in, uh, in, in within a Greek state and also in Europe. They owe tens of millions, if not billions, in taxes to the Greek state. State uh, and all of them, all of their media outlets have been leading the pro-austerity, pro-EU uh, brigade uh, for all of the past not months but actually years since 2010. So the opinion polls are conducted on behalf of these media outlets; they're not conducted independently. And the polls that have been conducted independently by non-Greek firms show a much different picture. And I think it's important to mention this because the media is not reporting it. Uh, Bridging Europe, which is a, a reputable European firm, has done four surveys in Greece uh, since March. Uh, in March, they found that 53% of respondents in Greece support a Grexit. Um, they followed that up with, an, with a poll in June. Uh, that found that 63% of Greeks that were polled said that they were not afraid of Grexit. This was right before the referendum was called. Uh, they had another recent poll uh, right after uh, Syriza uh, made its agreement with the, uh, with the Eurogroup. 79% uh, of those that were polled in Greece wow. said that they opposed this agreement that Syriza reached with the other uh, European uh, so-called partners. And then there's also a poll that's conducted every year uh, and has been for the past 37 years by Gallup International. It's a poll that is conducted throughout Europe in a lot of different countries. And the latest poll, which they uh, publicized in December of, of 2014, found that out of the uh, out of the respondents that they polled in Greece, 
52% supported Grexit, whereas only 32% supported uh, remaining in the Eurozone. So the real sentiment in Greece uh, is in favor, even if it's a slight majority, um, in favor of leaving the Eurozone and returning to a national currency. And this, despite the fact that anyone that watches TV in Greece or that reads the newspapers or mm-hmm. listens to the radio is bombarded nonstop with pro uh, Euro pro austerity messages. It's it's unbelievable that uh, with all of this media pressure that is that is going on on a daily basis, that there's this percentage in favor of leaving uh, the eurozone. Is there an independent media outlet that people turn to in these times? It's really mostly on the internet where people can get independent news sources in Greece. Unfortunately, all of the TV stations and all of the radio stations in Greece are their own wow. by a small group of uh, oligarchs, uh, very wealthy people, very well-connected and very corrupt individuals. Uh, the same is true with the newspapers. There's a lot of newspapers in Greece, but they're owned by very few people. So there's this sort of... Um, idea that there's a sort of fake plurality in Greece, that there seem to be a lot of TV stations, a lot of radio stations, a lot of newspapers, but they're all saying the same thing. They're all owned by a handful of people. So people that that want to hear something different have to turn to the internet. But Greece has one of the lowest uh, connectivity levels, internet connectivity levels in Europe. It's about maybe 60% of Greek households that have an internet the connection. So there's this big digital divide in Greece. You have um, about 40% of households that are not online, and that includes a lot of elderly people, a lot of older people. They're the ones that are most likely to be swayed by what they read in the newspapers sure. and see in TV. And also, they're the ones that vote in the highest percentages. So they have a big impact on the, on the final outcome of any election, any referendum that takes place. So it's a very serious situation. And unfortunately, even on the Internet, most people that are online end up going back to news portals that are uh, owned by, again, the same oligarchs. Or Michael, to... we have um, that. Gosh, that sounds very parallel to what happens here in the United States. Also, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, there's been reports that the right wing or fascist party, the Golden Dawn, will, uh, you know, is getting more membership and is rising there because people are upset about uh, Syriza and there's a lot of fear mongering in terms of uh, people will join the Golden Dawn party and it will be huge if they leave the euro or if this continues or if everyone doesn't just stay in their house and just take it that seems like the reports that i've been reading are suggesting that is what is the reality of that i'm glad you brought this issue up because it's very important a golden dawn is probably it's it's still too early to tell but they're probably going to make gains out of what has happened in the past 2 weeks because a lot of people like i said earlier are feeling betrayed by Syriza. They felt that Syriza promised all these things and then went back on its word. And Golden Dawn in Parliament voted no uh, to these new austerity proposals and agreements. So there's going to most definitely be a percentage of people 
that are going to see that and that are going to be swayed uh, by this no vote and are going to think, well, our only option that's left is Golden Dawn. They're the only ones that stood up to uh, to this latest uh, set of broken promises and to this latest round of austerity. So there is a real danger that Golden Dawn can make gains out of this. Now, how big those gains will be, uh, it's uh, it's hard to tell. When There's a lot of about, when we talk. I'm sorry. When we talk about fascism, what type of fascism are we talking about? Are we talking about they voted no, they would vote no, and they hate people of color, and they, uh, you know, are religiously oppressive, and they what 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 sort of fascism are we going to do? First of all, do you think they would vote no if they were a party in power and tell the euro people to you know that they wouldn't that they would leave the euro? And second, what other policies are they suggesting? I don't think they would vote no uh, if it was them that was in power. I think this is pretty much just a, a game of opportunism for them to come out looking like the good guys. And in fact, the leader of Golden Dawn, who, who was jailed until recently, uh, Nikos Michalayakos, uh, in an interview before the referendum, he said that Greece needs to remain in the euro because uh, the country has no other choice. It doesn't produce anything, which is a myth, but it's something that you hear very often. So I think it was this political opportunism, and they're probably going to make gains out of this. Now, in terms of the fascism, we're talking about a party, of course, that is uh, anti-immigrant, uh, a party that is anti-workers' rights, uh, anti-union, uh, a party that has had many, many instances of violence uh, against uh, people on the left, against immigrants, against against unions, against uh, um, any sort of worker initiatives, uh, organized worker initiatives. Uh, these are not good guys at all. Uh, we're talking about a very uh, a violent bunch of people and a very extremist uh, bunch of people. And they merely use uh, the actions of the mainstream political class and the fact that parties like Syriza have uh, gone back on their word. They basically use that to create a very populist rhetoric, uh, to gain support from people that uh, that are disgusted by the uh, the mainstream parties, it's it's all political opportunism. Um, and one thing that history has shown us is that uh, the deeper into poverty and into economic depression a country uh, goes, the more likely it is that you will see these extremist forces come up and gain support from a major sections of the populace, and that is what is. Uh, happening right now in Greece. Um, have you been getting support, or has the Sariza Party been getting support from the international, uh, work, like other parties, Podemos, any of the other parties that are that are against austerity in Europe? Yes, from uh, prior to the elections in January and all throughout the past few months, uh, Syriza has had a lot of support from uh, parties such as Podemos in Spain. In fact, uh, Iglesias, uh, the leader of Podemos, had come to uh, to Greece before the elections uh, to show his support for Alexis Tsipras, the leader of uh, Syriza. Uh, there have been uh, a few 
other visits of uh, various uh, Podemos uh, officials and personalities in recent months. Uh, but I get the impression now that uh, Podemos and some of these other forces are also beginning to uh, distance themselves from Syriza after this latest agreement. Certainly uh, amongst the European left and, and amongst the ordinary people that had begun to show their solidarity towards Greece in recent weeks. Um, there's also a lot of disappointment now and a lot of um, uh, a major a sentiment that uh, Syriza went back on its word and basically sold out the Greek people and sold out, by the way, the result of the referendum, which was a very resounding no to austerity and which this referendum is actually what brought a lot of solidarity towards the Greek people from other uh, people in Europe, from other European countries. There were all these rallies before the referendum in London and in Paris and Brussels and in other cities in favor of the Greek people and in favor of voting no. And now a lot, a lot of those people are feeling very disappointed and betrayed. Uh, do you believe that uh, Cyprus has a long-term uh, future in, in governance in Greece? Uh, that's a good question. I think, unfortunately, that Tsipras squandered whatever political capital he had after the referendum. He had a golden opportunity to really uh, uh, take a very hard negotiating position, knowing that he had the support of the overwhelming majority of the Greek public. The sentiment that I'm getting now in looking at the and, and hearing at what is being said uh, by ordinary people here in Greece, including people who voted for uh, Tsipras and who voted for Syriza, is that there's a lot of people that are not going to vote for him again. There's a lot of people that are supporting the, the uh, so-called rebels within Syriza, the uh, 32 uh, members of parliament that voted no uh, in last night's uh, vote for the austerity agreement. Um, there's a lot of people who are going to not support Syriza anymore. There's a lot of people that are going to continue supporting those that just voted no. Uh, there's a lot of people that are still confused and in, the, in a state of shock as to what happened. And honestly, they don't know how to react yet. Uh, but I think Syriza is going to lose support what I don't know is if it's going to gain support from other places, from voters who were voting New Democracy and PASOK in the previous establishment parties, now that Syriza has basically established itself as one of them, essentially, or at least Tsipras in the main Syriza leadership has estab have established themselves as being one of them. Let's not forget that Syriza last night was able to pass this new set of austerity measures, which is very harsh, by the way. It's worse than the previous two agreements. They were able to do this with the votes of the previous ruling parties, New Democracy and PASOK, uh, whereas if they had to rely just on their own uh, parliamentary base, they would not have had a majority and this would not have passed. So they needed the support of the parties that were urging the Greek people to vote yes, at the ref in the referendum a couple of weeks back, it, it, it they just turned everything on its head. And if Cyprus uh, had voted, had taken a hard line and said, you know, to the EU, I don't think we're going to do this, and then come back and fought for not doing that in the Greek Parliament, would that have passed? I think they would have had a lot of support from the Greek people. I think they would have been able to get a parliamentary majority um, if. Uh, 
Tsipras and Varoufakis and Sakalotos, the current finance minister, came out and told the Greek people the truth. Uh, if they walked out of these uh, negotiations in Brussels and if they told the Greek people how they were being pressured and what was being demanded of Greece, I think they would have had overwhelming support. I think it would have been even larger than the 61.3% that voted no in a referendum. And I think that uh, they would have been able to form a very strong political movement that would have included other parties, smaller parties and movements on the left uh, that would have gone ahead with some alternative path. And they didn't do this. The, they, the very next day after the referendum, we already began to hear that uh, they were in talks for a new austerity agreement that was worse than the one that uh, the Greeks uh, rejected in the referendum. Um, so if the reports of... Uh, you know, everything falling apart and things crumbling in Greece is not exactly true. What are we looking at? I mean, there were reports of, um, you know, 50% unemployment amongst the youth of Greece. That can't be good. There's reports of children fainting from hunger and malnutrition. Um, That is definitely not good. And it certainly seems like... uh, I, I don't know. In thinking about it from an outside perspective, it seems like, well, the people aren't that hungry yet, so they're not all out in the streets. So there's still enough time for the IMF to squeeze the Greek people a little bit harder uh, and get some more blood from that stone before it dries up completely. I think you described things very accurately. It's a very uh, complex situation in Greece. Uh, what, do you dis- what you said about the children that are suffering from uh, malnutrition is true. Obviously, it's not every child in Greece. It's not even most children in Greece. But it is uh, an increasing phenomenon that there are children whose families cannot feed them sufficiently because their parents are out of work, they're unemployed, or they're receiving a very small pension and are unable to live off of it. Uh, So that is true. It is true that youth unemployment is above 50%. And we're talking about the youth that are still in Greece because 250,000 university graduates uh, have left Greece for other countries in the past few years. Otherwise, the percentage of those unemployed would have been much higher So we're talking about a major brain drain out of Greece and about the most productive elements of society that have left because there's no jobs and no opportunity for them in Greece. Uh, So all of that is true. The the things that are not really true are all of these reports that you hear every so often that uh, there's violence and crime in Greece or that supermarkets are running out of food, uh, that the shelves are barren, that there's food shortages. Uh, that gas stations are running out of gas. Uh, None of that is true. All of that, if you walk into any supermarket in Greece, uh, the shelves are still full. Uh, People are not beating each other up trying to get the last can of food on a shelf. None of that is true. The problem is that there's just a lot of people that uh, cannot afford to feed their families anymore. They're unemployed. They're underemployed. Many times they're working, but they have not been paid for many months. So when we talk about a social crisis in Greece, that's really uh, what is happening. Um, All of these reports about shelves being empty and food shortages, quite honestly, they came across to me as efforts to scare tourists into not coming into Greece. Because like I mentioned earlier, uh, Greece right now is in the high point of its tourist season. July and August are the busiest months and there were many, many tourists and many organized uh, tour operators 
who canceled bookings in Greece once they began to hear these reports because people were scared that the ATMs won't work and that there won't be food and that hotels will suddenly shut down and go out of business. None of that is true. Who, the social who crisis benefits increased. from that? Who benefits from that messaging? I would say that all of this was meant to be a pressure tactic on Greece mm -hmm. uh, to conform, to accept whatever Germany and the European Union and the IMF were demanding of Greece. Uh, it was basically blackmail. Uh, it was basically saying that if you don't agree to everything we demand, we can destroy your economy. We can scare your tourists away. We can shut your banks down. Uh, we can basically squeeze whatever blood is left in that stone out of the uh, out of that stone. So I really think that was the uh, the intent to pressure Greece and to pressure Greek society into uh, putting aside any resistance and to just accepting everything that was being demanded. Michael, what uh, should we be looking for? You know, in the future, what what signs of progress? What what are we watching for over in Greece? Well, a couple of things. First of all, last night's vote is not the final vote, the final significant vote that we're going to see in a Greek parliament. It was basically an agreement to implement an initial set of measures uh, that was being demanded by the creditors. Uh, and if these measures are passed and if these creditors then feel that enough progress has been made uh, by the Greek government, then uh, an actual memorandum uh, an actual full set of austerity measures uh, will be proposed in, and voted upon in the Greek parliament probably sometime in September. Um, and it's very likely that by then, by the early fall, uh, there will be a lot of pressure on the Greek government. And probably by that point, a lot of people who have opposed uh, what Syriza has just done will have better organized themselves into a resistance against continuing and implementing this uh, new agreement. So probably in the next few months, we're going to see some political developments in Greece. There's a lot of people who feel that Syriza, that Tsipras uh, might uh, end up governing as part of a national unity government with the opposition parties that support austerity. There's others that feel that elections might be called sometime in the fall. Um, so it will be very interesting to see how these uh, political developments uh, play out in the next few months, but there will definitely be developments. Things are not going to stay the way they are. Hmm. And there are smaller parties in Greece that have had a very consistent message uh, against the remaining in a euro, against austerity. Uh, those include Andarsia, which is a uh, radical left party. There's a BAM, the United Popular Front, uh, which has also been very strongly in favor of a uh, Grexit, uh, in favor of leaving the euro. Uh, there's the Pirate Party of Greece, which has also been very active as well. Uh, there's the Idon Pay Movement, which has a very large grassroots uh, uh, network on the ground and has helped a lot of people who have had their electricity or their water service cut off, mm. uh, but they have also participated in elections in the past as well. And they might, it will be interesting to see if uh, the Greek public or at least a, a percentage of voters, instead of turning to Golden Dawn, if they will turn to these smaller parties that have had this message for the past five years and have that's, not wavered. Absolutely fascinating. It sounds like a true parallel to the Democratic Party here in the United States, where a portion of the Democratic Party is, you know, uh, corporate Democrats, um, centrists, uh, 
and a portion has become, you know, a little more hard-lined in their uh, progressive economic beliefs and their, their liberal economic beliefs and their liberal social beliefs. It's very fascinating. It seems like there's a split on the left, just like uh, at least here in the U.S. on the right, there is a split between the libertarian Tea Party wing of the right-wing party and the centrists there. Absolutely. There's a lot of parallels and there's a lot of people that have compared Tsipras to, uh, to President Obama when he came in, when there was that whole message of hope and change uh, that left a lot of people disappointed after uh, a few years. And now a lot of people have hopes for Bernie Sanders and other candidates like that. You do see the split in uh, uh, this, ver this very similar split in the left in Greece as well. Fascinating. Thank you so much for joining us, Michael. Thank you very much for having me. We've been speaking with Michael Neverdakis, Ph.D. student in media studies at the University of Texas, a Fulbright scholar presently based in Athens, Greece. He's also the host of Dialogos Radio, a weekly radio program featuring interviews and coverage of current events in Greece. Very happy to have him on the show. I learned a lot. You've been listening to the Juliana Forlano Show. I'm Juliana Forlano. This is our extended show. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Usually you can hear our shorter show on WBAI 99.5 FM in New York City or on the Progressive Voices Radio Network from 11 to 12 Eastern on Saturday and on Sunday from 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. What a better time to learn about Greece, injustice, global austerity, then 9 p.m. on a Sunday. Hello? Anyway, I hope you enjoyed our show. You can find our extended versions for now, for free, on iTunes and on the Juliana Forlano Show website, which is julianaforlano.com. Hey, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week.